Welcome in to the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wilkie. Excited to get started on a new year, a uh, new, new year's worth of shows, but also a new format that we're taking up this year uh, to kind of help me stay on track to uh, join in the conversation each week. I'm going to be joined by two co-hosts uh, more or less every week. Uh, my two co-hosts are Will Harib. Will uh, is the youth evangelist at the Decatur Church of Christ in Decatur, Alabama, and then my brother, Joe Wilkie who uh, works in counseling and therapy, but also preaches for the Jackson Temple Church of Christ in Dixon, Tennessee. And of course, I'm Jack Wilkie, preacher for the Forney Church of Christ in Forney, Texas, as well as the editor of FocusPress.org. And so uh, three of us are are getting started on this New Year's worth of shows. Excited to have you guys on board. Uh, Thanks for joining. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Excited to be here. Excited to discuss the the things that we've got lined up. Yeah, and Joe. Absolutely. Yeah, happy New Year, everybody. We are, um, we're pumped about it. We have a ton of good topics. We sat down and uh, in mid-November and just outlined a bunch of things of what we wanted to talk about that we're pretty excited to get into. I think we got enough that we could go for at least a solid four or five months uh, consistently with some really good content. We're excited to bring you guys. So yeah, excited about it. All right. So for this first one, being uh, that we're we're launching a new year of episodes. Uh, we're we're going to uh, have this out, uh, again, right at the start of the new year, hopefully for some people's travels. Maybe this is good uh, road listening for you or on a plane or wherever you may be. Um, with that in mind, we're looking at the idea of New Year's resolution, of, of goals, of personal growth, of uh, what we do with our lives day in and day out. You know, there's the old Socrates quote of, uh, an unexamined life is not worth living. And obviously, there uh, every life has value, but there is some some truth and validity to that. Of if we're not looking at ourselves and seeing who am I, what am I doing, why am I here, how am I spending my time, we're just kind of aimlessly drifting. And th- and that really is a tragedy. That uh, God has put us on this earth. He's blessed us with opportunities, with friendships, with um, church families, with with the 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 jobs that we have, and all the things that that we have that come to us to just kind of drift through that, to not make much of it, to do what the, the one talent man in the parable did and just sit on it uh, is, is not being a good steward of what God has given us. And so we want to talk about that today and, and kind of this idea of low standards. This idea came out of, actually, uh, Joe and Will and I have been a part of, um, I don't know if you want to call it an, an accountability group or a um, goal-setting group or whatever it is for a couple of years now in which uh, we come together, we have things that we're trying to work on in our personal life, and uh, we set those goals, we make challenges, we make kind of commitments uh, that if we don't, we have to, uh, you know, financially ante up a little bit towards a a pot for uh, going out to a a lunch together or whatever else. Um, What are your guys' thoughts of of this? I know, uh, I, I think it was Joe and Will that came up with the idea originally, uh, just this idea of goal setting, of resolutions, of, of whatever we want to call it. Well, for us, and, and this is something like Jack said that we've been attempting at for now the last two years, I believe, going on going on year two, where we sit down at the beginning of the year and we decide, okay, what what areas of our lives are we wanting to, you know, just improve ourselves? And that doesn't necessarily have to be just uh, on the spiritual side of things. Usually, that that is a part of it. We're wanting to improve our our prayer life or our Bible study, but also 
you know, we're, we're sitting down thinking, where do we want to improve ourselves physically, whether it be exercise or where do we want to improve ourselves when it comes to maybe reading more or spending more time with, with our spouse or, or whatever it is, everybody's goals are different. Um, but you know, there's the kind of running joke that exists in our culture that, you know, new year's resolutions are great. Everybody's pumped about it come January 1st, but then, you know, mid February, everybody, the excitement's kind of worn off and nobody really cares about their new year's resolutions anymore. Uh, you know, you hear about, you know, planet fitness and other gyms being at their parking lots being absolutely packed all through January. And then by early March, you know, they're just like they were the year before. Um, and so that's one of the things that at least personally with this, with this group and, and accountability group, whatever you want to call it, that we've tried to set up over the last two years, we've really wanted to try to avoid, you know, that mindset of let's get real excited. Let's get pumped up and try to improve ourselves for six weeks. And then it just tails off. That's what we wanted to avoid. And, and for the most part, I feel like we've done a good job of that, but it does speak to, again, just kind of the, the culture that exists today, especially in the United States of America, where, we are comfortable being mediocre. We are, we're comfortable. Again, it's a running joke that people give up their New Year's resolutions after six weeks, and it shouldn't be. Um, and so that's that's part of what we're going to discuss today. And as we really look at why is it that we're so comfortable with uh, with mediocrity? Yeah, I think that's the, the question of all questions, right? Why? Why is it that we only care for six weeks and then trail off? Um, there's a lot to that. I think there's two different points. And one we, we really want to get into um, today, and that's the idea of mediocrity. And we'll get into that in a second. But I think the other one, if you swing the pendulum to the other side, is we, we load ourselves up. And I, you guys know from my group that, you know, from the group um, with my goals, how poorly I did that, where I started in the first five goals, I, I started with five goals. And every single one of them was like, really difficult to attain. You shoot, you're shooting for the stars. Yeah. Bingo. And, and why do anything less, right? Why would I shoot for the small victories? Because it's the big ones that are going to, going to help me, you know, if I can lose 30 pounds in the next two months, it's just stupid stuff. Um, if we set our goals too high and too difficult to attain, I think this is a lot of burnout for people as they look at it and they go, man, I wanted to be skinny you know, by March or by, by maybe the time Valentine's rolls around and, and I'm going on a trip with my wife and I was really hoping to be skinny for that. And so I'm going to give it my best effort. And when life gets in the way, it's not a daily consistent thing. They don't have any accountability set up, anything like that. They realize this is a really difficult goal to hit because they set their goals too high. Excuse me, too high. If you look toward the end of the year um, and say, okay, by December, it's January, by December, I want to have lost 20 pounds and gained some pound of muscle, right? Um, that's a pretty good goal. Now, within that, you set micro goals to help yourself along the way. But a big issue, again, I think, is to set the bar so high that nobody can begin to accomplish it. On the other hand, though, and again, this is where I guess we really want to take off for the podcast is the idea of mediocrity. You swing the pendulum back to the other side to the point that that nothing matters, Jack speak to that. You're the one that really has taken this idea and given us a big outline for it. Speak to that, I guess, of, of your idea and understanding of mediocrity and culture. Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, you guys brought up the New Year's resolution, the empty gyms, the spiritual version of that is everyone's Bible reading plan. What happens? Everyone does mm -hmm. really good until 
about March. <laughs> well, about, about March. Levi- Leviticus. 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 That's yeah. exactly it. You get into February. You know, you're, you're doing good. You're rolling Genesis. It's so fascinating. You get to Exodus. Exodus uh, you has know, got you good get stories. Sinai, yeah. And then, of course, it slows down a bit, but then you got the golden calf in there. And then, yeah, you get to Leviticus, and here's what happens if you strike your neighbor's ox. And here's and and, and it, on the one hand, I, and I certainly don't mean to downplay Scripture, uh, it, it's just something that is a little harder to get through. It's not narrative. It's it's a little bit drier. Uh, you really got to be be plugged into it. And so that one drops. And, and we have these jokes, you know, about, oh, my New Year's resolution and I dropped the gym in February. My Bible reading plan was doing great until Leviticus. And, and after a while, we kind of just accept the mediocrity. We just kind of go, oh, you know, I, I, I tried. It was hard. So it's not really, you know, worth doing or whatever else. But then we always admire the people that really do. The people, uh, you know, that you know that uh, stuck with a, a resolution. The the people that get through uh, a daily Bible reading plan every year or whatever else. And you think, man, I wish that was me. It, it can be. Uh, but we, we kind of mock our mediocrity. You know, we have this term now, adulting, as a very millennial term. Oh, I, I paid bills and ran some errands and got groceries. I was adulting today. Drives me nuts. Like, yeah, yeah so like... like normal everyday chores and and things that everybody has to do that we need a pat on the back for them you know i, I was adulting today why do we this have is what that you... term we have that term because of mediocrity because uh, of accepting right. weakness and this is what you get into when you extend adolescence you know through college years and everything you extend adolescence to where being a kid is great and setting goals and accomplishing great things is not. I mean, it's it's looked at as a burden to go out and to live your life. And, and this is why everybody wants to chase their dreams and nobody stays in a stable job because chasing the goal of, man, I've been here for 25 years and did some amazing things. You just don't see that very much anymore. And this, there's a lot of other cultural things we could get into with that, you know, whether it be toxic masculinity. And, and I think that's part of it. But again, it's it's we just want to stay kids for so long. And not only do we look at mediocrity as, as okay, we look at goals like like you talked about. Look at late night shows. They're a joke, right? When you have New Year's resolutions, it's always the punchline of a joke that, that you will end your New Year's resolution in six weeks. And I think that creates a mindset that throughout the year, goals are kind of a joke, that it's only for, you know, the ultra um, confident, the, the um, basically ultra self-controlled, right? And so it's not for the average guy to set goals. Right. And one, one note on that quickly, just to add to the mounting levels of frustration that I know that the three of us, you know, when we look at the society and the culture that, that like you just said, Joe, you, they laugh at it. They mock the fact that, you know, we give up our New Year's resolution so quickly. We have never lived in an era with, with so much technology, with so much opportunity to be able to accomplish whatever goals it is that we have. I mean, if you if your goal is exercise, for instance, with things like the Peloton bike, you know, indoor, you know, or weights that you can bring into your home. There are so many outlets and opportunities that we really shouldn't have an excuse to, to, to miss our goals, to fail at our goals. And that, that goes for anything, you know, it doesn't have to just be exercise. I mean, we're living in 2021, the amount of, of opportunities, the amount of technological advancements that we've seen in our society should in all reality have made it easier for us to, to hit said goals, whatever they are. And yet, it seems like we're going in the wrong direction. It seems like we're trending towards being more and more comfortable, you know, with the fact that, you know, yeah, I tried for a month and, you know, it would have been nice, but whatever, who cares? 
Um, and then like Jack said, there is a balance because those same people will look at somebody who killed it all year, did great, lost 20 pounds, you know, put on 10 pounds of muscle, um, saved money. That's another goal that people have, whatever it is, we'll look at those people and say, man, that's really awesome. I wish that could be me. And yet in far too many cases that doesn't propel us as it should to make that me. If I see somebody that is, is absolutely killing it at whatever it is that they're doing. And it, again, apply it to, to our spiritual life. This, that person memorized 100 Bible verses. That person, you know, read through the Bible in, in eight months or a year or whatever it is. Rather than looking at that as a motivating factor and saying, you know what, I'm going to do that. It may not be easy, but I'm going to do that. We look at that and just view it as unattainable, unachievable. Uh, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or, or what it, whatever it is, but we're, we're, we're comfortable with it. We're comfortable with the fact that, you know, so that's, that's for somebody else and that would be great, but that's just not me. Okay. Isn't it interesting though? I think we get secondhand confidence. If I watch a YouTube video of somebody doing something amazing, <laughs> it's like I'm confident with them for no reason. Like Even though they, you didn't do anything to contribute. Right. Yeah, They work their tail off for, you know, nine straight months on something and they get ripped and I'm like, Oh, that's me. Like, that's not me at all. But we get this secondhand confidence that somehow carries through. And like the more YouTube I binge watch of these guys doing amazing things, the more confident I am. And meanwhile, like just get off the couch and go lift weights, Tubby. But I won't do it, right? Because <laughs> I get I'm, like I'm too busy getting sucked in. I get like that watching uh, like the majors watching golf. You know, yeah. guys get up there and it's it's nothing to hit it 250 yards. I'm like, oh, I could totally get up there and do that. And then I get out on the course and, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to hit it in the air 40 yards. So, yeah, same type of thing, though. I saw somebody said something, you know, really wise about that. that they we, we have so much expertise at our fingertips that we think finding experts has, you know, the, that is, is part of it. And it's like kind of, but at a certain point, you got to move past that. You, there, there's so much you can read. You can fill your head with so much stuff. You can watch so many YouTube videos, read so many books, whatever else. Go do it. You know, it's kind of... Like right. evangelism, you know, I, I've wanted to be better at evangelism for years, and and sometimes I, I do better than others. But you know, oh, I just I, is there a good book on evangelism? What what method do you use? Whatever, just go talk to people. You know, like uh, I, I can keep reading, I can keep listening, I can keep watching. But there's a, a real world thing, and I, I think that's one of the issues that that keeps us in this mediocrity is this pacifistic, consumeristic you know, sit back and watch others do society keeps us from doing things. And that's really a part of it. When we talk about, you know, this mediocrity, not getting things done, not having goals, not, not getting through your Bible reading. And it's, it's one of those things that's kind of a, an understood in society that we don't have time for Bible reading. We're really busy. And then we all talk about our favorite Netflix, Disney plus show. <laughs> what happened on the football game last night? Football game is three hours long. If you read the Bible in the commercial breaks only, you'd get through multiple chapters, you know, whatever else. Um, and so, again, it's those things of, do I really not have the time? Do I really not have the capability? Or am I just saying that because it's it's really easy to say? And, and that's part of that unexamined life thing of, how am I spending my time? What am I doing with with all of this? Let me, let me ask you guys this. And, Jack, you may have just partially answered um, this question that I'm about to ask, but for, for both of you and um, you guys have got Joe in your case, about five years on me, Jack, no offense. You got about a decade on me. Um, <laughs> what, what in, in your guys's view has gotten us to this point um, as far as in, in our society, in our culture, 
shying away from competition. We haven't really discussed that too much, but, you know, setting such low standards for ourselves. I mean, it hasn't been that long ago that I was, you know, in, in middle school, high school and, and watching other kids, watching um, parents of other kids. And, and I remember seeing it even when I was that age, the low standards that were set uh, for young people. And so I want to want to hear for, from you guys as far as in your experience, what do you think has gotten us to this point? Has it been a, a gradual slope? Has it been more of a, a, a sudden change that has just existed from generation to generation where we know, I mean, you think about 50, 60 years ago, you, you had, you know, teenagers winning the medal of honor because of world war II. Um, you know, things like that, where society expected much more of teenagers. And I know this is a whole nother topic we could get into with, you know, the fact that adolescence and, and we don't expect hardly anything out of our young people these days, but what do you think has gotten us to this point? And have, have you guys seen that, you know, going back, uh, to your teenage years, to your younger years, what has gotten us to this point? Has it been gradual? Has it been sudden? What do you think? I was just actually preaching on this the other day of we live in a, a society, a user-friendly society, right? Um, driving. You used to, you know, you had to drive a manual. You had to learn a lot more, and it took a lot more coordination to drive. Well, then, of course, we went to automatic transmission. Uh, the cars got easier. Well, now it's to the point where you've got the, the lane assistance thing where it'll correct you back if you start drifting and, you know, the cameras and, and all that so you don't have to be as aware and uh, the things that beep when there's people around you. I mean, like, uh, and again, those are safety measures. That's great. And then, of course, you've got the whole self-driving car thing that's starting to come onto the scene. It just got easier. Uh, cooking. You know, it went from you used to, if you were going to make pasta, you had to start with the eggs, you know, and, and like from the ground up, start everything from scratch. Uh, then you got boxed stuff. Then you got stuff like uh, frozen meals or, or hamburger helper or whatever else. Uh, and now almost nobody cooks. You just door dash it. Uh, everything just gets more and more user friendly. Uh, the computer. When I was a kid, you know, dad, my dad was a big uh, computer guy. He was like everyone had to come to him you know people were asking him what do i do about this or how do we fix this or you know etc uh, etc et now everybody has a computer multiple you know you have your phone your your tablet whatever else uh, and it just got more and more user friendly or building a website you used to have to know all the code now it's just drag and drop and and that's really nice but when that's the case with everything the things that matter like a spiritual life where there's no user-friendly way of following Jesus. And that was my point in the sermon. When he says, you got to take up your cross and follow me, I can't do it for you. Nobody there's else, no shortcut. Yeah, your preacher right. can't do it for you. Your youth minister can't do it for you. Whoever it is, um, the, it can't make it user-friendly. Uh, you've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the time for prayer, for study, for fellowship, for connection, um, for evangelism. Uh, and so when we're so used to everything being handed to us on a platter, when something comes into our life, like these goals, like whatever else, that really takes dedication, self-control, discipline, all those things, we're not equipped for it because almost no part of our life requires that hard, hard of work. I also think there's an idea of self-esteem being involved here where why would your self-esteem be good if everything you do is easy? Uh, Self-esteem builds by doing the things that are difficult by, and also by recognizing that your self-esteem is so much more than just a singular thing. Right. And I think, and we were talking about this, Will, you and I were talking about the idea of you were mentioning the competition and parents shying away from that. Um, 
And the biggest thing I think is they're afraid of their kids being failures, of, of failing. And we're afraid of failing at our goals because of what that says about ourselves, which is ultimately a self-esteem issue, right? If I fail my goal, then I'm a failure. So why would I ever start with a goal? Because I don't want to be a failure. But in reality, by the fact that you never started a goal, you are a failure. Like that's what a failure, there's a difference between failing and failure. And people don't understand this nowadays. And I think Jack's right in that everything is so easy for us that if it requires effort, we are afraid of failing. And if we fail, then we must be failures. And that's just not true at all. Um, if you get up, it's it's Edison Lightbulb, which is, I think, from National Treasure. I don't even know if that's true. Uh, I probably should look that up one of these days. You know, he tried 2,000 times. I don't know if that's true or not. But the principle there is right, which is you'd only be a failure if you quit, right? And we have all this on motivational posters, and it sounds great. But in reality, who actually lives that? Very few people live that man, me quitting is me failing. Otherwise, I'm not a failure. No, we try one or two times and go, oh, it's really difficult. Throw up our hands I, and we're done. Right. Yeah. Well, not, I must be a failure. It's really difficult. Of That's just not for me. You know, I, I mm. you know, the whole, oh, I'm not musically inclined when you try and start taking up an instrument. Nobody is. Nobody, I mean, like, except for one in uh, 10 million sits down on a piano and knows what to do, you know, instinctively. It takes time. It takes work. Uh, you know, and the same thing. Uh, and again, with a spiritual life, there's literally nobody because of, of what we're starting with, because we're fighting against sin, because we're, we're fighting against human knowledge versus spiritual knowledge, which you have to acquire through many, many years of dedication. Uh, again, as, as I was saying earlier, there's no easy button for it. There's no shortcut to it. I've run into that quite a bit when it comes to working with young young people when it comes to public speaking. You know, public speaking is what is it widely regarded as like the number one fear that people have, even worse than death or something like that. And you hear that quite a bit when referring to public speaking, especially with young people as well. That's just not me. That's that's just not for me. And, you know, the whole time it's like, well, it, it could be, you know, not that it's going to come maybe as easier or as naturally for you as it would be for somebody else. But just because something doesn't come naturally, and I think this is what y'all are getting at, just because something doesn't come naturally doesn't mean it's not for you. You know, how many people in the world today don't like reading? Does that give them an excuse to not read their Bible? Uh, you know, how many people in the world don't really like sitting still for, for, for 20 minutes? Does that give them a reason or an excuse to, to skip worship service? You know, like y'all have been saying this entire time, we've gotten to this point where if it's uncomfortable for us, if it's difficult for us, we're just not going to do it in our society. You know, we're just going to find other ways to spend our time. If it's uncomfortable or if it's difficult, we would rather um, just live with ourselves for not experiencing it, not doing it, as opposed to, like Joe said, getting to the point where we view ourselves as failures because we couldn't accomplish the goal. And I think that's, again, I see it a lot with young people and obviously it, it relates into older generations as well. And, and you're exactly right. The mediocrity is the overcorrection of that of like, I just won't try at all because you know, I won't go into those things. Um, like you said, it's not right for me. I got a client. She's good at so many things, so many things. Um, just amazing. She struggles in math. Um, okay. You know, you are like an A plus student in every single other way. And you're still pulling really good grades in math. But she just doesn't want to try in math. Her mom and her go round and round about it. And um, man, she's an intelligent girl. She can absolutely do it, but it takes a lot more effort than the other ones do. The other one she breezes through because she's intelligent and, you know, math is just doesn't come easily for her and she's willing to give it up and, and wanting to give it up and just doesn't try in math class. And we've talked about this quite a bit. Like she's 
which again, this goes more into, this is, this is so many clients of going back into failure means I'm not loved. Right. And so you go back into, you're still loved if, if, even if you fail. And so there's a, there's a, certainly an aspect of that, of if I fail at these goals, but she's exactly what you guys are talking about, which is like, I would rather not try. I'd rather basically be mediocre and not set any goals for myself than reach out into something that I'm not great at. I just finished Tiger Woods biography. And the kid was, they said he probably hit the 10,000 hour mark, you know, where you're a, a master or whatever in your craft by the time he was 12. Wow. All the time, all wow. the time. I mean, at, at the time, by the time he was two, up to two, he was watching his dad every day. And then, and by the time he was two, he was hitting his own golf club, like two hours a day. Could you imagine a two-year-old hitting a golf club for two hours every single day? Like, it's just ridiculous. Well, we look at, like you've mentioned, well, with the golf, we go, well, I could never do that. I didn't start early enough, so why try? I mean, what would, if every other golfer thought that way, basically the PGA Tour would have one guy and his name would be Tiger Woods. Like, that doesn't happen. So everybody else has to do the hard work. One guy they mentioned in the book started golfing at the time he was 19 and went head to head with tiger and ended up beating him later on in his career. The guy started at 19. Um, lots of practice then it's like, it's not, it doesn't matter when you pick up it. It matters that you put the effort in when you do and don't shy away from putting the effort in. And the last point I'll make on this though is, and this is going to be another podcast idea. I don't want to get too much into this, but we have gone back for Jack, you and I have talked about this recently. I know our culture pushes you had alluded to this, the idea of knowledge so much in the Greek, there's the two different knowledges, right? There's oido, which is more like book knowledge and there's gnosko, more experiential knowledge. And our culture pushes oida all the time. Just read books, know this, and listen to the, listen to the experts, listen to the, you know, to those who know, listen to science, right? And the idea of you going and exploring things on your own, or you coming your own is like, you don't do that because that goes against the experts that goes against you know, who actually has knowledge. And I think that also factors into this as well, is we're afraid of stepping out of the box of what everybody thinks is normal. And we do that in our own lives. Um, because you do kind of look weird when you're bringing salads and bento boxes of, of, you know, pickled eggs and everything to lunch every day, instead of going out with your buddy, it takes time, it takes being different, it takes, it takes, you know, being willing to experience some things that may not be ultra pleasant instead of just reading about it instead of just watching a youtube video about it a netflix documentary about it which again gives us that secondhand confidence or whatever like i think it's we have to not be afraid of experiencing things and experiencing failing not failure but failing as well well and so with the the user-friendly thing i was talking about how many thousands millions of views do youtube sermons have at this point um, you know, again, you got this podcast, uh, you got a lot of religious podcasts. And so, you know, I, I don't want to be too hypocritical here. If, if somebody's listening to this, we want to make it actionable, uh, because it's just the easiest thing in the world to line up, you know, and I, I've got the ones I listen to. Everybody has the, the things they listen to and, and the, the Facebook or Twitter or Instagram pages you, you see that share a, a spiritual thought or a scripture every day or whatever else. And we get those things and then you just kind of scroll on to the next thing. And, and it just keeps stacking, as you said, the knowledge. And, and as Paul said, knowledge puffs up. It gives you this arrogance, but love is at the center of it. And love takes action. Love takes getting our hands dirty and, and things like that. And, you know, it, everything comes back to this for me because when you write a book, things work that way. The consumeristic Christianity, that's how it works is the user-friendly thing. We'll do it for you. We'll pre prepare programs for you. You just show up. You know, you don't need to really plug in and become a, a, a serious Bible student yourself. 
we'll give you what you need to know. You come hear the sermon, come hear a Bible class, you know, come maybe share your, your feelings in a, in a group or whatever else. Uh, and I'm not denigrating all church activities, but there there is a, a climate of that, of, again, the user-friendly idea of Christianity. And as I said before, taking up your cross is not user-friendly. It, it cannot be. You know, there is a, an entry point. And so with all of these goals that we're talking about, spiritual, uh, you know, physical, uh, as was brought up, financial or educational, reading more books. Uh, there's there's always a, a wide range of goals uh, that a person can have, but I, I want to get into some of these scriptures we have uh, to cover here of why this is biblical, because I, I kind of think sometimes this is looked down upon, the idea of achievement, the idea of growth, the, you, you guys mentioned, you know, competition, even if it's with yourself or whatever, um, and you know, I, I wrote on this a while back, the idea of brokenness culture, that, that we just emphasize so much, oh, we're all broken, we're all struggling, we're all, well, we are from time to time, and it's not wrong to acknowledge that, it's wrong to wallow in it. It's and wrong celebrate to celebrate it. Yeah, to right. celebrate it, to, to act like that's the natural state. We're more than conquerors in Christ, and that's in our faith and in everything else. And you go back, I'm going to start right at the very beginning, Genesis 1, you know, everyone knows verse 27, God says, let us make man in our image. But verse 28, when God has put man here on earth, what does he say? I've created all this for you so you can have dominion over it, that you can rule over it. Adam was expected to, you know, exercise that kind of rule, exercise dominion over, over his realm. Uh, mankind was put here to achieve. Mankind was put here to, to grow and to do and to, to be a part, to be excellent, I guess I would be, uh, would be the best way to say it. And this idea of, oh, well, we're all just, you know, struggling along, and man, I like to sit in my sweats and watch 10 hours of Netflix and all that, like, man, that should make us cringe. Well, and, and, and think about this, too, on that note, Jack, you're, you're in Genesis chapter 1. If you just go three chapters later to Genesis 4, and, and you're looking um, at the family of Cain, starting in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 4, and, and Adob or Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the harp and the flute. As for Zillah, she also bore Tubal Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. So you've got these skills, these, these talents that were being developed, and they didn't have YouTube videos to watch, right? You know, they, right. they couldn't get on uh, YouTube. They couldn't go online and, and look at, and you know, how to play the harp, how to play the flute, how to develop these things in, in bronze and iron. No, they had to learn it. They had to develop these skills. They had to develop these talents. They had to make an effort to grow. They had to make an effort to, to, to learn. And that, you know that's very early in the Bible. That's only Genesis chapter 4, just a few generations past Adam. Well, and you look at the, the super, you know, not only faithful, but successful people in the Bible. Joseph was a talented man. Daniel was a talented man. David was a talented man. Uh, these were people that knew things, that knew how to do things, that, that were accomplished as individuals. You look at the building of the tabernacle where God has these, you know, highly skilled people that he's selecting and, and filling with his spirit to get that job done because they had earned that role. They they had grown into it, you know, that um, throughout the Bible, uh, again, you know, Peter and, and uh, his crew were fishermen. Uh, you know, Paul had the skill of tent making, but also, you know, rhetorical skill and, and his education and all that. Um, it's kind of in the same way that money gets looked at in the Bible, sometimes that poverty is virtue and, and making money is not. 
you know, money can be very dangerous. We, we've got plenty of scriptures on that. But it, Christians kind of can slide into that idea that the poorer you are, the more righteous you are. That's not really true. In the same sense, this idea of, man, I, I want to be great. I want to, you know, really grow. I want to make the most of what God has given me here in, in all of these different facets. We can look at that as, as showing off, as pride, as arrogance, whatever else. It's a good thing. It's something that God's faithful people have always done. I was going to go back, not to take out the point, I was going to go back to Genesis 2, though. Um, like you said, we were created to do good things. We were created to, to again, have dominion. And, and what he talks about in chapter 2, um, this is 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it, um, which is pretty big. He names the animals, right? He cultivates, he keeps this entire garden. Notice, though, that's before Eve has ever been created. God gives man purpose. God gives man goals before he ever creates Eve. Like that was, that was Adam's job instead of, well, you know, Eve is, is, and of course a wife is very important because the first thing God says in the Bible, that's not good is, um, is it's not good for man to be alone. But that even underscores the point even more that we have goals. We ought to strive for great things and we need people's help to do it. Um, being alone, sometimes accomplishing those things on our own are just very difficult, which is one of the reasons we started the accountability group. Uh, again, if we want to call it that, of just getting help with our goals, recognizing this is tough stuff. But man, strive to be great. Strive to be great. We also enlisted another one in uh, Ecclesiastes 9. Um, I'll pull that up real fast. Ecclesiastes 9, I think it's verse 10. Mm -hmm. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Um, do with all your might, right? We are expected, we're required to do good things and to do it to the best of our ability. Uh, Jack, I think you had a couple more as well. Well, uh, with that Ecclesiastes one, the second half of that verse is you're going to be dead someday. This is your, your chance. This is your time. Make you the know, most th of it. That there is eternal right. life, and that's a great blessing. We, we know that. But what he's saying there is you've got responsibility here. You have been, if you look at the years of your life and insert it into that parable of the talents, uh, you know, which is not a direct one for one. I don't want to take it out of context. But on the other hand, I don't think it's a, a wrong interpretation of it either, of this is something God has given you. God has given you today. God has given you this hour. He has given you the opportunities in it. He's given you the time to do something with it. And man, I think it was John Piper, some author had a, a quote about uh, one of the great uses of social media, of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, is that on Judgment Day, lack of time for, for prayerlessness is not going to be an excuse. Um, you know, that we've got this life that we're going to present to God. And I've, I've, I've got on our, our list of scriptures as well, Psalm 90, verse 12, where uh, I think Moses wrote that psalm, said, Teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Wisdom is realizing we have a limited amount of time. We're not here forever. That that the days making the days that we have count. Uh, there's that old quote of "Don't count the days, make the days count." You don't know how long you're going to be here. We've got those verses about like a thief in the night and uh, James chapter four. You don't know what your life is going to be like. Your life is a vapor. You're here for this long to do nothing with it, to just uh, slide by on mediocrity without growth, without development, to sit on that one talent, so to speak, uh, is is unwise literally unwise well and it's 
the entire purpose behind you know the the reason that we're discussing these things and the reason that we believe that it parallels so much with our spiritual life and with scripture is because if you look at somebody who is going through life and they're literally comfortable just coasting you know not not trying to go up not trying to grow not trying to improve they're literally just coasting not trying to improve themselves physically you know not trying to broaden their horizons their scope of learning not trying to improve themselves as human beings you think about how that relates. And again, that's thus kind of the entire purpose for this episode of the podcast, how that relates to our spiritual life, where we have so many people who are sitting in pews on Sunday mornings who are content to just coast. They're content to just coast through their spiritual life, not trying to improve their Bible knowledge, not really looking for ways to serve others and to evangelize, not really trying to take an active role in teaching others. They're fine to just coast. And so, you know, some some people might be listening to this going, what, what's the big deal with this mediocrity type of culture? That's the big deal. That That's the the issue that we're trying to get at here is that if we accept this level of mediocrity, if we accept this this notion of just coasting through life, what surprise is it that when we get to our spiritual lives, we have dozens, hundreds, thousands of people who are just fine doing that exact same coasting in their spiritual life. Again, not trying to improve their Bible knowledge. It's it's a dangerous slope that we can get into if if we get comfortable enough in our secular life and our physical life, not really trying to improve ourselves. It's not that broad of a jump to see why people are just fine and and content to do that in their spiritual lives as well. And it's not the the light of the world. You know, the world is, uh, they see Christianity through us, if if we're not driven to to be better to grow if if there's no god given you know sense of man really grabbing a hold of life and living it to the fullest it just tells them what they already believe that it's just not that important this life doesn't matter that much of course our spiritual is you know as you're talking about well is the most important our walk with god is the most important thing we can work on but it is that mindset of if i am if i am growing with god if I am somebody who sets goals and, and is very um, active in my relationship with God and then setting goals of prayer and Bible study and everything else, that will most likely spill into other areas of life because it's the mindset that we're attempting to develop here that will carry into every aspect. One of the things I was going to say about the Ecclesiastes and the Psalm one, though, um, I think we also get into it, and this is, again, maybe another podcast discussion, but when we're running out the clock just trying to get to heaven, I think we missed the point. God gave us this life on earth for a number of reasons. And I don't think it was just to run out the clock. It was to give him our very best down here and to glorify him with every action, whatever we do, uh, do all the glory of God, right? So everything that we do ought to be to the very best while we're on earth. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. But I think too many of us just look at heaven as like, let me just coast to the end. And I don't, that's not what God's called us to do. Well, and, and this that entire point speaks to what one of my favorite passages in Scripture is and one that we had on our list, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, in which uh, Paul is writing to, to the Corinthians, and he, he uses the analogy of a, of a runner running a race. And in chapter 9, verse 24, 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? And then he ends the verse by saying, Run in such a way that you may obtain it what is the overarching point behind that verse? It's that you can't just coast through your race, right? You can't just show up to the race and expect to receive the prize. 
he, he literally asks, uh, and to those who would have been reading it, it would have been a very rhetorical question. They would have known the answer. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Well, duh, of course they know that. And, you know, nowadays that doesn't exactly apply with all the participation trophies and things that we give out. Um, but he, the, the way he, that verse ends is to me is, is, is so critical for us as Christians to understand. And that is run in such a way that you may obtain it, strive to obtain it. Uh, don't just coast, don't just show up. Don't just, uh, like you were saying, Joe, just try to run the clock out till the race is over. No run in such a way that you will obtain it, you know, live your Christian life in such a way that you can look back on your race and say, as Paul did in, a, in another uh, athletic analogy that he uses in, in second Timothy, that he's fought the good fight. He has finished the race. Um, I think to me that that last part of that first Corinthians nine twenty four passage is so critical for us to understand just in the sense of both of phys our physical life. And then obviously Paul was making the application life run in such a way that you will obtain the prize that you will strive, actually try. Don't just show up and think that that's going to be good enough. Don't just coast. And the, the, I guess the, the center of that section is this idea of self-discipline. Uh, and, and I think everybody would agree. Self-discipline is a good thing. It's an important thing, whatever else. This is where the rubber meets the road is in your race, is in your day-to-day -day life, is in, in these choices that we're making. And uh, when you settle for mediocrity, again, when you don't grow, I, I kind of referenced this earlier, but uh, I'm a big proponent of the idea that if, if you look back a year from today, and, and that's one of the, the beauty beautiful things about the New Year's resolution, it's it doesn't have to, you don't have to wait till January 1st to start to grow, but it's a natural turning of the calendar. It's a marker where we can look back and know, well, here's where I was a year ago today or whatever else. If who you are in, in your walk with God, your prayer life or your, your Bible knowledge or whatever else, your service uh, is exactly the same as it was a year ago, that's a, a bad thing. That's a, a reason to look to grow this year. If it's exactly the same as it was five years ago, 10 years ago, that's a tragedy. That is, uh, you, again, are taking this vapor of a life that you have and throwing it in the trash. We have to be striving to grow. To, to know God more every single day is the joy of the Christian life. And, and so, uh, you know, and, and the same goes for these other goals. And we're going to talk about some of the different areas uh, in, in which we encourage people to grow uh, here in a minute. But just the idea of self-discipline and, and the ability to measure and, and grow. And our, our walk with God is we don't want to be, you know, kind of in that pharisaical sense of, man, I'm doing better than I was before and patting myself on the back. It's the desire to know God more. It's the, the ability to say, you know what, I'm, I'm closer with God because that's what I want more than anything else in this world. And so I'm getting there. It and takes I, daily self-discipline. I think that's an important point that we haven't really touched on yet, but one that obviously we need to state, and that is we're not trying to advocate that you need to do all these things and accomplish these goals for your own gratification. You know, it, it's not for you to, to stand up and boast that, you know, I lost 20 pounds this year. I, I did X, Y, and Z. Look at me. Look at how great I am. That's certainly not the right. point. Um, you know, but the point is the fact that, as you just so beautifully stated, Jack, the fact that we have been given this life that is so short and it's a blessing it's not one that we need to waste. It's not one that we need to look back over our last five, 10 years and, and wonder, you know, have I grown? Where's the growth? You know, if that's a question that you're having to ask, as you just said, Jack, that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy, but it is important for us to understand. And, and this kind of starts a whole new topic. The fact that we should not be doing these things 
to pat ourselves on the back, right? To, to, right. to boost ourselves up, to puff ourselves up. Now, the whole thing is about the idea of stewardship, which is a very biblical concept of something has been placed in your hand, what are you going to do with it? Uh, and the idea of being a steward is somebody who has been given responsibility over something that belongs to somebody else. My life is not my own. My body is not my own. My everything yep. is my money is not my own. All, all of the different things that we can do, my time is not my own. Uh, it's it's God's, and I'm trying to give him a return on what he's given me. And so it starts with gratitude. It starts with understanding his love and, and you know, his his gifts that he's given us as a father and appreciating those things enough to do something with them. Uh, to waste them is, is kind of ingratitude. It, it really is. And the amazing thing is when we do these things for God, we feel so much better. I run an accountability group, um, true accountability group for sex addicts on um, Mondays. And so many of these guys, I mean, they're staying sober, they're doing great, but they cheated on their wives. They've had porn addictions, whatever it may be. Um, and their wives just don't see it. Just don't see any growth. Um, a lot of guys will get caught up and well, my wife's not seeing the growth. She's just not paying attention to it. And it's like, well, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. And it's this idea of kind of, they're not boasting in it necessarily, but they're really hoping people will see, specifically their wife will see the effort and the work that they're putting in. And of course, some trauma and everything, not to get into that. Um, they struggle, the wives struggle too, but I always tell them, look, this is about your relationship with God. And it's about whether you can look yourself in the mirror. When you get up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror, is it somebody that you're proud of? The Jordan Peterson idea of like, don't compare yourself to somebody else, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. This is for our own mental health. And again, we do it all to the glory of God because God is the one that, that gives us a bed to get out of, gives us a mirror to look in and gives us the ability to, to even get up in the morning and to achieve greatly. And so it's not about what others think of you. And that's really what I think quells the arrogance is recognizing that who cares if they're proud of you, if they're not proud of you. I mean, that's, that's a different discussion, but still, this is about are you comfortable with yourself? And if you're comfortable with yourself having not grown in 10 years, again, as Jack said, made a valid point, that's not good. Uh, would definitely take a longer look in the mirror and figure out why have I not grown? Why am I okay with mediocrity? Do I think I can achieve more? But again, it's for God. Like in this, and, and another point that Jack made a little while ago of the evangelism side of it, how amazing is it when we're growing and we're changing and we're excited about the way God is working in our lives and about all the things we're able to do for him, that that just spills over into the way we talk about things. People see us changing and growing and it shows somebody who's not content to just sit around. We are wanting to be better. And then it opens an opportunity. Man, you're looking somewhere. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You know, it opens an opportunity to say, God's blessed me big time. I'm able to do this, you know, set a goal. I've been I'm talking with some Christian brothers about it, whatever it may be. Next thing you know, boom, we're talking about God. So there is a big reason why being better is way more about our relationship with God and ourselves than about anybody else in our life. That's, that's exactly right. The walk with God is the foundation of all of it. And, and we've got a lot more to say about that, actually. Um, we're going to get into that. We're, we're kind of going long here, so we're going to pause it right here and pick up the, the second part of this episode. We've got some more to get into, again, with our walk with God and, and not making it a workspace kind of thing. Uh, then we'll get into some specifics. We'll get into um, maybe some tips and tricks, things we've learned along the way in our quest to do this, and we will pick that up next week. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and uh, we will be back next week with more.